Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. I am uh, Chuck. And I am godless as are all. And this is your weekly examination (laughs) of all things metal. I was going to leave you hanging out to dry there. (laughs) Of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. We like to talk about uh, stuff that relates to uh, metal and things and all that. In this episode, um, we're going to do that, among other things, I, I think. Right? Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. This is kind of a weird one because, of course, we get a holiday weekend this weekend. Uh, but uh, we wanted to do something a little bit different. We've been doing interviews with artists and stuff and talking to a lot of bands and band members. But one of the things we've talked about we wanted to focus on is also uh, the industry and talk about more or talk to more people that are in the industry and, uh, and what's going on in metal and what uh, what's happening. So we, we, we chose somebody that might... Might be uh, this guy knows something. He knows a thing or two, man. He is a senior vice president of uh, Roadrunner Records, A and R department, and uh, he's he's a bad mofo. Uh, yeah, by Dave Rath. So uh, he's going to be our guest on this episode. So. Cool conversation. Yeah, very good conversation about you know the state of metal and what uh, what Roadrunner Records is looking for in bands and that kind of thing. And I was really curious because I didn't know. Yeah, like w- what are they doing? What are they doing? But it sounds like they're signing. It sounds like I, well, you got to listen to find out. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Hey, uh, the Metal. Six podcast is brought to you by uh, Insight. They're returning with the Up and Hell, their most brutal album yet, out September second on Minus Head Records. So uh, thank you very much for that. I'm looking forward to listen to it. We're also going to talk to uh, Doc Coyle again. He's going to he's going to be rejecting our sickness <laughs> one more time in this episode on a regularly scheduled. Uh, I'm prepared. Uh, I don't know. I'll I got notes. See, I got two to, pages of notes here. Oh, damn, we'll have to see what happens <laughs> with this one. Uh, this could be very interesting, you know. We're going to start off talking. The, oh, did oh, you want to see what songs we're playing? Uh, no, we also forgot to give out all of our other crap, too. Oh, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, iTunes. So yeah. Look for us on iTunes. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks. So you can get a hold of us. You can uh, reach us that way. And hopefully, Stitcher, too. Yeah, Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. So pretty much all the podcasting areas, you're, you're going to be able to find us here very soon. Uh, and hopefully, I've got my fingers crossed, that we're going to have a way for you to communicate with us through the website soon. Ooh. Uh, leave us messages. It's going to be cool. No, it's not. It's, it's going to be, be cool. It's going to be fucking awful is what's going to happen. I know exactly what's yeah. going to happen with this. And, uh, but yeah. Oh, should, do we want to give another heads up? We've had a couple bands that have started sending us 60 seconds. We're working on something. We we're gotta, still we gotta, trying yeah, to get it together. So be patient with us, yeah, but yeah, we'll yeah. make it work. But, yeah. you know, if you're a band. I want to do so. And part of this thing with uh, that we're talking about with uh, Dave from uh, from Roadrunner Records is is that that we want to we want to get other ways to help unsigned bands and, and, and try to get your stuff out there. Like other ways to. To give you advice, yeah, and help you out with all of the things that go on in your day to day life. We don't know Jack. We actually don't know shit. So, Although I hmm. thought I had good advice last week about the merch booth. Well, I think that that see the and you the had some good ideas too. The difference Except that whole vinyl thing you got. Well, I love the vinyl thing, but but the difference with that is is that that's from a perspective of somebody who loves metal. Right. You know, not not making metal. That's from somebody who's looking at it from the outside. And I think not enough musicians 
look at that from the outside. Right. You know, you're not standing on the other side of the merch table. You, you're kind of immersed in it. So you're in the bubble, and it's kind of hard to look at it from the outside. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, yeah, you got to hear stuff like that. It's like, you yeah. know. And it wasn't anything bad, you know. Just yeah. take take my credit card. Yeah, yeah, that's all I want. Yeah, you know, I don't carry cash anymore. What the hell is that all about, man? <laughs> and monuments are awesome. Oh, speaking of cash, uh, <laughs> segue. All right, sweet. Uh, one of the big stories of the week, and I think that's the one you wanted to touch on on this episode this. was uh, Vinnie Paul not needing any more money. <laughs> uh, he doesn't make any money off of uh, off of well, music, he, right? He doesn't or, make enough to support him okay so he doesn't make enough money to live right uh off the stuff that he's made i can promise you hell Re- yeah pantera damage plan rex brown makes enough off of pantera to survive on you know what i mean uh, yeah, he, he, he wrote a book though so i mean d- dude i'm just saying he had, he had to write a book i mean was, yeah was that not you know, i'm the, sure he had things to say but no i mean no matter how optimistic you are you can't expect you're gonna sell too many damn books well i you never know i mean i'm, I'm just saying it's another another revenue and kill stream. devil hill and kill, <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't i don't see him touring i don't have i don't see kill devil hill t-shirts well the amount of um what is it just for men product that, that vinny's got to use these days it's going to cost a little bit of money well, yeah just look at that i mean the dude yeah i mean he's i i get it all right i'm doing it just for the love of it it's a good story but it's not true because the dude has got a really good life going on and it's all built on everything that he used to do yeah if he were starting from zero and 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 this was hell yeah Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he he'd be a rich motherfucker compared by by comparison, right? You know, I mean, I I get that. You know, that that's like Metallica saying that. Oh no, we're only making seven million dollars yeah. a year. You know, oh, what's gonna yeah. happen? You know, then because you've got a bigger machine than anybody else does, you've got to fuel that machine. So I, I understand that you're they, probably not making enough money to to keep the machine going. Yes, with your music, I can I can get behind that. Right. But at the same time, I also really do appreciate the fact that he is an entrepreneur entrepreneur in that in that respect. Awesome, and has done the bar thing and done the strip club thing. And I have been to the, I've been to a couple of strip clubs. Have you? Um, yeah. So uh, oh. I'm totally um <laughs> thumbs up. All right, good good job. All right, your your contribution as a Pantera fan. Uh, well, I was uh, I was trying to put her through college. I mean, it wasn't I wasn't giving it to Vinnie Paul. I was uh, sticking it somewhere else. Yeah, you support single moms. Hey man, that's what uh, somebody's got to. I mean, hello. So I really appreciate the fact that he's at least that you know an entrepreneur. You know, it's the statement itself is kind of funny funny strange not funny haha but in the end i mean he's still he's doing other work you know he's doing god's work i mean he's 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 trying to you know put like i said put women through college i just don't buy the argument that oh this is a great example of why the music business is in a bad state well i don't think that has anything to do with it i, okay, I, I, I don't think that's the case because right, that was the perspective on on metal sucks this week well i mean i think that I yeah no I think I think that's the matter of the lifestyle that the guy chooses to live. I can promise you that's a big ass house. Yeah yeah yeah. That he never he's never at. Yeah. You know and 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 it's got at least two probably three air conditioner units and the dude lives in Texas. Yeah. It, it's that that just that electricity bill is that's is, like yeah that's like four grand in electricity yeah, right there. Rex Brown's like yeah. I could totally eat on that. Yeah, in that trailer park that he's in, I yeah. mean he's totally floating uh, just by on uh, Pantera oil. I'm sure he's doing just fine. Yeah. you know I'm sure he's doing just fine. But see, the, the, all right, so the the statement that Rex Brown had, you got to pull this apart because this is this is good. So he says uh, he says here. Um, 
uh, you know, I spent a lot of money in strip clubs when I was on tour. Uh, uh, I would take my entourage and we'd go down to the strip bar and have a good time. Okay. Are you talking about Vinny, right? Vin, this is okay. what Vinny's saying, right? All right. So first things first, right? This is just like a classic athlete. You know, who blows all the money on on jewelry and cars and all that sort of thing, and then they finish yeah, yeah, their yeah, career, yeah, yeah. and they got nothing to show for yeah. it. Vinnie Paul probably did dump a hell of a lot of Pantera money, because he's not just paying for him, he's paying for the entourage. True. The entourage ain't, can't afford going to the strip club. I can guarantee you the roadie cannot afford. But they've owned that strip club. Like he's owned, him and now his, he's he, bought it. But he and his brother bought that strip club a long time ago. Yeah. So like that's yeah. But he was going to a whole bunch of them. I'm just saying he blew his money during Pantera. Yes. All right. That should have been a nest egg. There's no nest egg. Uh, but what he was smart about is see what's here. I would take my it's right. Oh, I hate this whole. I had to get away from fans. Baloney, come on, get him going. Oh, come on, dude. Fans are cool. Hang out with fans. Well, not even that. Fans will go to the strip club with you. So yeah. I mean, what, what does he that, think? that's the entourage. Does he think he's like in uh, between the buried and me or something? No, 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 no. I get, I get where he's going from there. Where, where? I mean, I, I get that. I, I can understand. So I got involved in the ownership thing. I've always been a down to earth business guy, dude. If you're taking your entourage to strip strip clubs on a on a regular basis, I don't care. how how much money you're making you are not a down-to-earth Dude, no no guy. that's that's a load of shit that that is actually a load of shit because the, you, where have you been in the in the corporate business world man where do you have lunch that was the where, be- where do you go to lunch? That's where business is conducted. Dude, I go to a food trailer. That well, was the beautiful thing about me and my brothers. We work together is that I could be the business guy. All right. So, first of all, can Vinnie Paul have an interview where he doesn't mention his brother? I mean, he totally shoehorns his brother into this statement. Well, you know, I mean, but it, if his brother is the party guy and he's the he's the one that manages the money, I get that. I can understand that. All right, and that was the most important part of the whole thing. He says, and and he could be the party all night, rock and roll day guy. Yeah, cool, Kiss fan. <laughs> Duh. I mean, but yeah. he got it backwards. I was like, if you're a real Chris fan, you know, you're a rock and roll all night and party every day guy. Yeah, but he loves Peter Chris. So it's OK. <laughs> yeah, totally right. Even Peter Chris can't get the lyrics right at this point. <laughs> uh, he made sure they got paid. Uh, but so, yeah, my point is the whole thing is that, OK, yeah. All right. Oh, I got to renew my call on everybody boycotting everything Vinnie Paul did. Now, okay, Dots. okay. Here, here's where I can kind of get with you a little bit because, uh, so if we want to see a Pantera reunion, and of course he has called us out as being selfish for wanting, or anybody who asks about a Pantera reunion for being selfish, Hell because yeah. because we want it. There's a virtue in that. But the only way that we can up his paycheck on the Pantera side of things is to lower the paycheck on the other side. So. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to go to the strip club, save the money on the bar tab and just tip your waitresses, okay? Yeah, that, that, no, that, strip that's clubs, they, don't they take that cut now? The Do clubs, they? The cups, the club, no, you got to go to a non-Vinnie Paul-owned strip club. But the, but there's a really good. And we don't know what sports bars he owns a piece of, so you might want to avoid all sports bars. <laughs> During football season. I mean, yeah. you know, just to just stay stay out of sports bars. <laughs> You know, don't don't worry about. When your buddies are like, "Why aren't yeah. you coming out?" You're like, "Dude, I'm the one who wants a Pantera ring." Exactly. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, no, I want to go to the strip club. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. Like I said, I support Teen Mom. I mean, wait, <laughs> single Teen. Oh wait, no. Well, the Teen Mom's here in Austin. Never mind. That's the that's a whole other story. That's <laughs> the Teen Mom stripper thing. No, uh, you know, uh, no. Okay, it's all uh, good. 
fair of what her name you don't watch reality tv nope you don't have a television so behind the times i'm reading books <laughs> whatever uh, ebooks <laughs> stupid <laughs> so we're gonna get to doc coil here toward the end of the show we're gonna awesome. reject our sickness but first we wanted to talk to senior vice president of an r from roadrunner records that's right kids this is the guy that like manages uh and brings in bands to the labels he's a big decision maker and uh we want to talk to him about so many different things so dave rath of Roadrunner Records is our guest on the Metal Sucks podcast. I grew up in a church on Sunday. Back again, bury friends on Monday. They don't just die, they are killed from the gunplay. Or the heroin, or a prison stay. It's a shame how we gotta live this way. Your nightmares ain't got nothing on this place. So stay down, stay away. First off, we wanted to get you on because obviously you are the senior vice president of ANR for Roadrunner Records, and that's a that's a pretty big title. It, it certainly comes with a lot of responsibility, that's for sure. Not just for the record company itself, but you know for the genre uh, on the whole. I feel very very responsible for heavy music and metal and rock. I feel very responsible for it, and Roadrunner being the premier label in the genre um to be in this position it's um you know there's a lot of weight that goes along with it i take it very seriously i'm excited to talk to you because in my high school yearbook it says most likely to become senior vp of anr for roadrunner records <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> really <laughs> no it's good so well, if, I get, if i ever get tired of it i'll give you a call <laughs> right tell me first off i want to get a little background on you personally as far as like sure. how how you got to this position and what your roadmap looked like as far as career path kind of thing? Well, uh, I don't know how far back we go, but I, I, I come from a background. I'm a, I'm a musician. Um, I played drums in a heavy metal, what is now termed as a hair band uh, back in the 80s that was on Columbia Records. Um, Called? So I, uh, well, I, I, I went to school first. I went to school for, for, uh, for finance, economics and finance. And um, right shortly after I graduated from college, uh, the band got uh, the band that I was playing got signed, and so I was able to get out there and play and and really live it and do it and and get the real experience and get to peek on the other side of the curtain, really understand what it feels like to be signed to a major record company, know what it feels like to be on the road, know know the sacrifices that you make as an as a, a committed um, artist who have a lot of people who depend on you and. Extremely thankful for that experience. You know, we were on Headbangers Ball, the original Headbangers Ball. Um, you know, we we did everything that you do. We played arenas, we toured. You know, everything that went along with being a uh, you know quote unquote rock star in the eighties. Uh, I did it. Dave, we and, got we got Google um, Images like queued up here. So, what band name are we typing in? Well, the name of the band was Heaven's Edge, and it it wasn't. A hey, band. I remember Heaven's Edge. Right, right. Well, there you go. So. <laughs> wasn't a huge band, um, but it was big enough uh, to, for me to get a taste of what, what really goes on. Um, but fortunately, in a way, it was small enough, and I was young enough, so that when it all ended, and it did end, that I was able to kind of like get on with my life and, and get going with the next phase of my life. And when the band was finished, um, you know, I had demos on my on my dresser and on um, in my car and on my desk, and, you know, all my friends that were looking to try to get record deals and so um, I just kind of fell into, um, you know, helping these bands out 
and trying to get bands signed, and, and ultimately what that turns into is you end up being sort of a manager. And um, I managed a couple of bands. During that process, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. The opportunity came up for me to uh, run an organization called the Philadelphia Music Conference, which at the time was like the third largest music conference in the country. So I, I ran that for a couple of years. I think we did really well. I mean, we, we had a lot of, of, of great bands play, and I got the experience to run a, a pretty sizable organization. And uh, during that time, there was an, an opening at Roadrunner Records uh, in the administrative department. And I was very happy to, to, to take it because part of me, obviously, I loved Roadrunner and loved the bands, but the other part of me was I didn't really want to have anything to do with the creative side of the business anymore, to tell you the truth. I just wanted to just deal with you know, numbers and, and, you know, quite honestly, like money and royalties and really know, like, how does a record company actually really operate? I had been signed to one, but I didn't really see what it was like on the other side. And so that was a great opportunity for me to really understand, like, how does the money actually really flow? And it was a chance for me to use my college degree and get a sense of what, you know, what really goes on, um, you know, who's, who are the people who make these decisions, how deals are made and how they actually function in practical and practical reality. And I was tired also of, you know, at the time, like I'd spent my twenties uh, with my life basically being determined by the tastes of, you know, kids. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I was happy to just have like kind of like a regular gig in the industry. But of course, as time went on because of my background, a lot of the A&R guys, guys like Monty Connor, Ron Berman and Mike Gitter, all the great, uh, A&R guys at Roadrunner would ask my opinion about mixes and they, I just kind of like started to get, to get more and more involved on the creative side of things even though I really didn't want to um, and then the owner of the company Case Wessels was a big fan of, of well actually the whole company not just Case but everybody was get, getting into DVDs at the time and, and, and so they said to me look you know you're probably the only person here who's who's willing to take on one of these DVD projects, so we're going to give it to you. And the first project I did was Slipknot Disaster Pieces, which was a concert that we filmed in London. And the DVD went on to, I think it's at this point, it's like five times platinum, and it was like, you know, 5K review in Kerrang! And it was it was really a groundbreaking DVD. And that was kind of like, all of a sudden, next thing I know, I was getting involved and in, in directly involved in, in product uh, for for the bands. And as time went on, um, I just did more and more of that, and sooner or later, the owner of the company decided that you know he he felt like he wanted somebody with uh, my background to run the A and R department, and so I, I did, and I do. So you um, kicked out the other guys? I, I did not. As a matter <laughs> of fact, uh, you know, it was probably one of the worst days of my life because uh, all those guys are guys that I respect and and, and hold in high regard. They're all very very talented people. I owe everything to them, to tell you the truth. So uh, I still talk to a lot of those guys almost every day, um, and I miss working with them because uh, you know I miss their ears. I miss the uh, back and forth conversations we would have, uh, the perspective that it would bring. And I was very unhappy to see uh, to see all that happen. But you got a bunch of cute new interns, so it balances out. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, yeah, moving over to Atlantic Records. Um, you know, at first I was like, this fucking sucks. I don't want to work for a major label. And, you know, I, I, this is not something I, I signed up for. And I was really, really distraught about it. But coming over here, immediately upon my arrival here, I found that Craig Kalman, who's the CEO of Atlantic Records, 
I didn't realize this guy was like, it's like to the core, a total rock dude. I mean, he basically has the largest privately owned vinyl collection in the world, number one. Number two, he owns every single piece of Kiss merch ever made. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, the guy's like real. He's going to his office, floor to ceiling, covered with Led Zeppelin uh, uh, CD or album single covers. Like, you know, the guy's like totally into it. And so when I got here, um, you know, he said to me, look, you know, it sucks what happened to the label. We had to restructure all that stuff. But he said the spirit of the label is still alive and well. I'll back you 100%. Anything that you want to do, just, you know, my door is always open. Come here and talk to me. And um, let's make sure that Roadrunner really gets back to what put it on the map. Towards the end there, when we were still an independent company, we had a lot of classic rock bands on the label, who I loved, but it wasn't really what the, what the company was founded on. Um, we had veered off a little bit into uh, the alternative world with a band called Young the Giant and, and that kind of thing. We had comedy on the, on the label. It was like, it was definitely uh, had lost kind of its singular original uh, focus and vision, and Craig Kalman here at Atlantic really was like my sort of my early partner in getting the label back to to really what our roots were. So was yeah. all that sort of scattered shotgun approach to things? Do you think that was that just sort of industry struggling to try to find its feet? Like well, we got to get in a little bit of everything, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was definitely that. You know, the other thing is, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. Is like you know the the, the rock world that Roadrunner was really, uh, you know, a major player in with, with bands like Nickelback and, and Theory of a Dead Man um, was, you know, shrinking. And we started to see, like, wow, this world is really getting small. The alternative world is growing. You know, it only, only makes sense to get involved in that. Now, it doesn't mean we, would, we weren't planning on getting into, like, very quirky and weird alternative music, but, you know, kind of the rock side of the alternative world, which really was what Young the Giant really is. I mean, they're, they're essentially a rock band. Yeah, I think it was just it, it. It was us just trying to make sure that we can keep the lights on, and uh, coming over here to Atlantic. To be honest with you, you know there are some pretty big bands on this record company, um, and so the pressures are, are different. Um, you know, we're kind of part of the whole economic picture here, so I don't really have the same gun to the head pressure that I used to have when we were when we were a little more independent. I have a little more financial air cover here. And um, so that allows me to do things like sign a band like Cavalertech, who, you know, I, I just uh, always a super fan of the band. And but having them here on Atlantic, you know, it's like look, Cavalertech, they don't sing in English; they sing in Norwegian. You know, it's it's a kind of a niche band. And you know, who knows how big the band will ever be? But um, you know, I was able to bring the band in here without really tremendously high expectations and have it be okay because. Uh, myself, the people at Roadrunner, and like I said earlier, Craig Kalman fully realize that that's an important band. And if Roadrunner is going to be the premier rock and metal label, uh, we need to have important bands on this record company, and Cabellatech is certainly that. So when it came to signing the band, I had the full backing of Atlantic Records behind me to go get the band. So is a plan with a band like Cavell Attack that, you know, someday they're going to have that song that's going to just crack, even though it's in Norwegian? Is or, it growth potential, or is it... Or is it just, th- these guys are letting everybody know, this is, we are staking this ground, and Cavell Attack are one of those bands that are going to inspire the other bands on the label in just the right kind of way? I would say the latter, uh, what you just said. It, you know, yeah, I would love it for the band to, uh, you know, to have a, a, a song that kind of cracks through. But when that happens with a band that doesn't even sing in English, 
chances are it's, it's going to be a novelty type song, and that's not what I look for. It's not really what I what I want, especially out of a band like that. Are you calling Ninety Nine Luff Balloons a novelty song? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I actually like that tune. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> who who um, doesn't? I was thinking Rammstein personally. That's where I was <laughs> going. Right. I was thinking Duhast. <laughs> they're like the poster child. Duhast is like the poster child. Whenever people say to me, "Oh, it's your time this band. They don't sing in English." Look, you know, Rammstein did it. It's like, well. <laughs> They did, but they're also, you know, there's also so much that goes along with that with that band. And, and you know, and Valertech, you know, if they do write a song that punches through like that, I'd be thrilled. But um, that's really not the expectation. About, yeah, it's all about it's all about the band and us being able to, to say to people, number one, we're, we're here to prove that we love music, um, first and foremost, that we love this kind of music and that um, we're we're. Like I said, when I first got uh, on this conversation, to me, I consider my role not just to be the head of A&R for Roadrunner Records, but really as a champion of the entire genre and to try to bring forth bands that help uh, bring the genre forward. And uh, and that's why I think Devour Tech is important, not just for Roadrunner, but that band uh, is an important band. I agree. They, they, they change they change things. I don't want bands that just kind of like a run-of-the-mill, same old thing. Cavallo Tech changes music uh, for the better. How did you get turned on to them? Um, through one of my touring guys at, at Roadrunner. Um, was like, uh, hey, you should check this band out. They played at South by Southwest, actually, and I saw them down there, and I, I was just they just blew my head off. Is that, um, like, the way for a band to get to you? Word of mouth, plus South by? Actually... Um, to be honest with you, no disrespect, disrespect to South by, but I don't, I don't typically go there and, and be like, let me just go find some band I've never heard of. Often when I'm seeing a band down there, I've already, I already may have already seen them or know who they are. There's so many different ways that bands get to me. I mean, there, there really are many, many different ways. I couldn't sing, single out one, one particular way. Um, people make recommendations. I have scouts that are looking all the time for me myself i'm calm online looking all the time um you know we have there's research people here who look at things uh you know if something's popping up on a chart somewhere uh over in europe or australia or japan whatever you know whatever it is you know we're, we're looking but there isn't one specific way that anything comes to me no how did king 810 do it king 810 um is it's funny because that's like everything about that band is very uh, I would I would say like the process is very like classic almost like old school. Uh, what happened was uh, one of the guys that works here in the A and R department was at a party, and uh, somebody came up to him and said, "Hey, you're you're from Roadrunner, right?" And he said, "Yeah." And he's like, "Man, there's this band I've been trying to get to somebody from Roadrunner. Um, there's a band in Flint, Michigan that I, I really want you guys to hear um, that you probably have never heard of before." We had tried, never heard of them. The, the guy that gave it to me, Mike Liguori, um, had had kind of been aware of them because the band uh, had been making a little bit of noise out there. And uh, he played me some stuff. And uh, my initial thought was, I've never heard anybody write lyrics uh, this compelling in, in a very, very, very long time. And if this dude is as real as he thinks, as I think he might be, then this is definitely something we should take a look at. You know, I just poked around a little bit, got into it with them. I actually went out to Flint to go see what it was, you know, what was going on out there, and uh, I was pretty floored by the authenticity of um, of what they had. But um, they also only had two songs uh, at the time that I thought were, were worth uh, um, us putting on this new record, 
and those two songs, one of them was called Fat Around the Heart, and the other one was Desperate Lovers, and those two songs were the most, you know, the most recent songs, and I was just blown away by the band, because I, hadn't, I haven't seen anything that comes out of the classic metal world that is, uh, is this, uh, to me, either whether it's polarizing or whatever you want to call it, controversial, uh, I hadn't seen anything like that in a long time, and I hadn't, I had never, I haven't met anybody in my life ever like David Gunn, the singer of the band. He's the most unique person I've ever met in my life, hands down. I love it when a band's got a story. It's not just a bunch of songs. There's something to talk about with them. Like, like yeah. I've heard one song. That's that's all. That's the extent of it so far. But uh-huh. man, I have heard hours of conversation yeah, about lots them. of stories, <laughs> right? And yeah. that that's that's fantastic because it's intriguing. So I mean. Should bands be doing that? No, they should do what they do. Um, you know, that's it. I, I don't think bands should try to do anything. I think yeah, they but who they are. But really, it's like I mean, there's a hell of a lot of uninteresting people making some pretty interesting music. Can't they like come up with something? Shouldn't it be like <laughs> Sopranos? Some kind of yeah. yeah come come, on, give me shoot something. me in the fleshy part of the thigh. You know, something like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think bands. Sh- I think bands should uh, should be interesting and compelling. But I don't think they should fake it. I think they just do what they do. And some bands that there are a lot of bands who just aren't, and you know, hopefully they just kind of go away because they're not doing anything to, to help you know the world of music. Um, and whereas King A King A Ten, you know, they're just really kind of being who they are, and they're getting slammed for it in a lot of places for it, and they're getting praise, equal amount of praise. Actually, a lot these days, it's a lot more praise um, than they were getting originally for just being who they are, and they are. You know, their their record is autobiographical, and um, getting to know the band, uh, it, it was very clear to me early on that these guys are not full of shit. Everything they're just saying is 100% um, accurate, and they're the real deal. And but, I think part of the problem that the band is having when people are negative on the band is the metal world is very conservative, number one. Oh, yeah. um, people mm. don't like change. They True. don't. They say they do, but they don't. For a genre that's supposed to be, you know, uh, anti-authority, you know, authority and daring and all that, it's probably the most conservative genre that there is. Number one and number two, people cannot actually believe that these guys are real. They think like, oh, that you know, Roadrunner faked this arrest, you know, uh, that happened, and and this whole thing is a publicity stunt and all that. So they just can't accept that it's real. So they're trying to find flaws um, in the band's story and. We're here at Roadrunner. We're like, good, keep it coming, because the more that people try to find the false uh, claims within the band, and they're going to find that they're that uh, that holy shit, this is actually really real. These guys are real, and they're going to be surprised. So there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have to eat a lot of shit when the truth comes out, as people really find out more about the band. They're they're they're. It's all true. It's all real. But is it scary when you sign a band like that? That's real in that regard because you're like, I'm not gonna. They're not gonna listen to anything yeah, I say. Possi- yeah, they're so possibly <laughs> volatile. I mean, you know, not they're gonna disappear for weeks. <laughs> I can't. We can't let them tour Europe now. We, you we know, gotta- there were some things that were scary. No question about it. Um, mainly, like my first trip to Flint was a little bit unnerving um, because these guys do live in the heart of the city and, and to go to talk to them, you got to go there. And that was a little scary because I, I, you know, I grew up in a suburban community on Long Island that had no, nothing. I didn't have an upbringing like these guys had at all. I guess things got worse in Flint since Roger and me then. Uh, a lot worse, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, that looked like Disneyland compared to how it is yeah. now. And um, 
But so, yeah, I was, um, but the thing is about the band and David, I mean, he definitely knows what he wants, and I, I don't uh, tell him uh, what to do by any stretch of the imagination. But the other side of that is he's an extremely bright individual, and he's not, he's very, very open-minded. So he, without a doubt, will listen to what people say and weigh um, who's saying it, why they're saying it, and whether or not it's a value, legitimate value to him. I mean, he's he's definitely, without a doubt, um, taken some of some of my advice. Some of my advice he, he has not taken, but but whatever it is, I can count on him for an objective, honest, smart uh, conversation and dialogue between the two of us and between the other people here at the record company. I mean, like I said earlier, man, he's. He is, uh, he's breaking the mold. He really is. So, I mean, do you find that to be one of the, one of the more useful tools when it comes to, comes to a band, having somebody who has got their own vision of what their band is supposed to be and what their direction is, but at the same time can, can be molded? Any band that has vision, that's what you look for. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what you want. The worst thing that could happen is, you know, there's a band on the label who doesn't know who they are, what they are, what they want. They have no ideas. I mean, that's not going to translate to the public because you don't want me uh, telling, you know, dictating what a band should be. Uh, you know, I'm I'm an, I'm a guy working in an office every day. You know, I mean, I'm out seeing bands constantly, but I'm I'm no longer on that side of the fence. Um, so you don't want us, anybody at the record company, basically telling a band who, what their what their message should be and who they should should, should be. I mean, look, Slipknot. You think Slipknot's like taking advice? I mean, they they. Slipknot does what Slipknot does because they're very, very sure of who they are. And um, they're all individually and collectively incredibly and creative people. But at the same time, though, when you look at the campaign for Slipknot and the, and the new record, as far as like how the singles have been released, the videos have been released, the teasers and all that stuff, there's a lot that goes into that. That's not just the band oh, yeah. that's, uh, no, that's yeah, doing that. True. So, I mean, it seems like they're open to, open to those ideas while at the same time being able to keep that creativity on on their end as well, definitely. But they're you know they're a part of those decisions, by the way. Yeah, um, no, no, I'm uh, yeah, not saying that they aren't. But I mean, I know that takes a machine to do it. It does. That is true, and and there is a reason why a band signed to record companies. There are a lot of bands today who feel, oh, we don't need a label. We could do it all of ourselves. We could do it ourselves. You know what the fuck good is a record company anymore? Well, you know. <laughs> Uh, just look at what it takes to launch a band like Slipknot, not just in the United States, but around the world. It takes a lot of people, a lot of time, a lot of coordinating, and um, there's definitely a need for a record company to do that kind of thing. No no question about it. When you sign a band, are there some bands where you can see the possibilities and you're putting the whole machine on, and then other bands where it's more of a Cavaller tack, where you're like, hey, look, we only need to dedicate so many resources because... These guys are going to do what they do, and that's all they're going to do. Um, I would have to say that's a tough one to answer because every band, I think every band on the record company has the sky is the limit as far as their potential goes. And I do treat every record that I am involved in like it's Led Zeppelin four potentially. I, I really do. So, but in reality, um, you know, you have to invest uh, wisely. You know, um, you don't want to just spend money and and because you know this you can really damage a band's career if you spend a shitload of money on a band and they're never going to get to a certain point now you put the band in debt the record company's not healthy financially when that happens so you have to be smart you have to know you do have to know where to invest and when to do it and on what type of band to do it on i wouldn't ever single out a band and say 
uh, well, you know, we're giving Kvalitech more money than Slipknot. I mean, I'm just not going to dis- discuss that. Yeah. But um, Roadrunner and the, and the beauty of this record company is it has a lot. I mean, we have, a, you know, 30 years of experience doing this. So I think the company is extremely intelligent about how and when and where it spends money. You, you know, you want to be able to live to fight another day. So you have to know when to, uh, when to spend and when not to. Yeah, you know what your return on investment is going into it. Well, considering, speaking to that, considering that record sales are what they are, uh, are Roadrunner deals 360 deals at this point? Warner Music as a whole still believes in the uh, 360 idea, and I do as well. Um, And the reason that I do is not so much that uh, record companies need other revenue streams in order to survive, but Roadrunner's always really been like a function as a 360 record company. I mean, the early days of the label, Case, the owner of the company, owned Blue Grape, which was a merch company. Right, I was so mentioning them earlier. The yeah. merch. He had a publishing company. We always did the band's publishing. And the reason we did that was not to get money. It was to help the band's career grow in every avenue. Yeah. And we've never wavered from that philosophy. So when you're part of Roadrunner, and I'm not just trying to like sell the label here, but since you guys asked... You know, as part of this record company, we have people that work here who are experts in getting tours for bands and marketing those bands while they're on tour, um, figuring out ways that we can, uh, you know, bundle tickets with records and, you know, all the things that we do to try to move the needle forward for the band. If we were only focusing on record sales and didn't give a shit about the live business or the merch business or the publishing and licensing side of things, you know, we would be foolish. Um, you know, when, we're, when we invest in a band, we invest in all areas. And so our belief is that the amount of the money that we would invest in, a, in say, the, you know, in a band's on the touring side, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, their gross revenues are going to increase so much that the percentage that we're involved in on the touring side is going to be something they wouldn't even notice because they wouldn't have it. They wouldn't, it, their business has grown so much that, um, you know, they wouldn't have had that money anyway, really. So, um, yeah, we do believe in it because we, uh, we, we help in every possible area of the band's success. And um, if you talk to any of the bands on a roster, I think they would agree um, that we've been really critical in helping that happen. Well, it seems like, to me, like the, the opportunity that exists now more than ever is, you know, for those casual fans, you're only going to get, you know, one little sale out of them. For the, the big fan, you're going to be able to get that much more money out of them for different products and services. And then, you know, for the Uber fan, there's an awesome sort of the crowdfunding model, but thinking about it in terms of like everything, you know, from touring and, and uh, the publishing and the, and the uh, merchandise and everything. And, you know, it seems like a 360 deal is necessary to be able to make that sort of thing happen where you can really service all types of fans of a band. Exactly correct. Um, but I also look at it not as a, not necessarily as a mon- monetary issue. I look at it as like a lifestyle issue. You know, we're dealing with artists here who are trying to make some sort of legitimate statement, like we spoke about earlier, with bands who have vision. So... Um, the music, the the art, the live show, you know, it's all part of the experience. And so um, we want to try to enhance every single part of that as much as possible. I think every band should want that, not just Roadrunner bands. Every label, I think, should be, should be invested in that. And those who aren't, in my opinion, are making a terrible mistake. Because, as I said, uh, we want to try to uh, keep metal and rock thriving and moving forward. 
and sometimes uh, rec- you know there's some bands who who don't really sell a lot of records, but they sell a lot of shirts, right? And it's not about the money there. It's about wow, kids want to wear that logo. That logo means something to them. Well, what does that logo mean? What is, what is the message of the band? What can we do to to, to get that that message out there further? And so. It, it it is more than just record sales these days. It's about just the whole entire package, but it really comes back to the idea of the most important thing is the success of the band and the success of the genre and and having kids and uh, being as invested in it today as 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 I am. You know, I mean, I'm a fan of this stuff. You know, and so uh, I think that this the genre is very unique in the sense that. It's it's definitely there's there's a total lifestyle component to it as opposed to just you know this is the summer song of 2014 you know. Well, so do you feel like that sort of thing that like that has changed? I mean, not the lifestyle part of it, but that label support is that something new or different now? I mean, in 2014 versus the 90s, or do we have to look at or we having to look at it that way, or is that the way it's always been? Just we had a little more money from the album sales before. I think I think. Look, let's face it. Um, you know, record sales are are not what they used to be. Yeah, and it, they're just not. And it, the, the sooner people accept that and try to figure out a way, and I think people do accept it. Um, I shouldn't say that they don't, because people do accept it. It's it's very real. And in the metal world, it's ve- the metal world's very small right now, um, and that happens. It expands and contracts depending on the artists and um, what's happening in the world. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, as much as I have lofty aspirations about trying to, uh, you know, expand the genre through our, through our investment, um, the reality also is, yeah, record sales are small, and record companies need to find ways to be able to survive in order to serve the bands better. By what metric do you say that rock and metal is, is getting smaller? Because it seems like the number of bands is, uh, is skyrocketing. Well, the bands are a lot of bands, that's, that's for sure, because the ability to record music now is just is easier than ever so anybody can you know can make record now and and distributions is not what it used to be either you know i mean it's not all controlled by the record companies now so so there's a lot of stuff that gets out there and it used to be in the old days it only well i'd like to think anyway that only the best shit made it through whereas now kind of everything makes it through and and fans just have to try to like gravitate towards what they um you know what they what they like so when i say it's getting smaller um, first off, the idea that there are so many bands out there, that means is that, you know, there's a, there's a fixed amount of people who like the kind of music, so they're only going to get behind so many bands. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. And my metrics for determining that the, the genre is, is getting smaller is, number one, record sales. I work yeah. at a record company, and I, yeah. I monitor those things very closely. YouTube views, that kind of thing, live ticket sales, you know, all of it. The entire, uh, you know, when you take a step back and you look at, what a, a gold-selling band uh, would draw today versus what a gold-selling band would draw, uh, you know, 10 years ago even. It's a big difference. Um, you know, the numbers are just down uh, all over the place in the metal world. And, and a lot of that, my opinion, um, is, you know, there has been a lot of crappy metal bands for a long time. There hasn't been, a, you know, there's just, the, the genre needs a wake-up call. And it's also fragmented a lot. I mean, there's the metalcore world, to to me, there are a lot of you know a lot of people criticize that world a, a lot. Um, but to, when you go to see metalcore bands, man, I mean it's like very you know a lot of young kids who are super enthusiastic about it, and they get behind these bands. They don't give a shit if the bands are on the radio or not. 
Um, they go to see him. You go to a metalcore show. Kids are out, you know, lining up around the block to see the very first band. They stay all the way through to the very last band. They go fucking ape shit, moshing and throwing each other around and stuff. And you know, the metalcore genre to me is like very healthy right now. You know, I mean, it's it's not enormous because it doesn't have the commercial backing yet of the entire industry, but uh, it's certainly certainly thriving. The genre overall is like definitely fragmented. You know, you have people who like traditional metal who just fucking you know hate uh, metalcore. They yeah. don't have anything to do with it. It's almost like it's weird. It's like a it's like a it's like a one way street. The people who love traditional metal like hate metalcore stuff, but the kids who like metalcore, they like they're a lot more open minded about tra- traditional metal. They don't hate you know the more classic metal bands. They like them. So it's it's kind of a shame. I wish people would be a little more open-minded in the, in the traditional metal world. One of the bands we've been talking a lot about that because they're so odd and seem to be uh, you know interesting <laughs> is baby metal. And one of the things that's interesting about them is perhaps the opportunity to introduce a whole new audience to the genre. Is there... Uh, do you think the same thing? And, and it, are there other artists that uh that you guys would be looking at that might be able to you know not just be a um uh a, you know great creatively but also sort of a a conduit to more fans um, well there's two questions there i'll start with the baby metal one it is definitely true that kids you know i have, I have a daughter um you know who's in high school and uh kids who really could care less about heavy metal or you know pay attention to baby metal and think it's funny and cool and I don't think it's cool yet, but they're definitely paying attention to it. Um, so for that, that's fine, except is baby metal going to attract people to, I don't know, Mastodon, you know? Probably not, you know? So I don't know if there's a connection there or not. I really I just don't I just don't know, um, to be honest with you, if baby metal is going to be, you know, flypaper for the genre. I, I, I tend to, I actually tend to not think so. It's just, it's, it's, uh, there's such a novelty quality to it that I, I, I can't, you know, people think it's it's cool for right now for a second to be like, yeah, I like baby metal because it's so contrary to what you might, people, you know, people would expect. So a lot of people, I think, just say that they like it just to be, you know, just to say that they do. But I don't necessarily see that as like drawing a lot of attention to the genre. I just, I just don't. But that said, I, I, I actually think it's it's really interesting music to tell you the truth. And it's an interesting take on on heavy music, and it, you know, it's just melody there, and they're they're really entertaining to watch, and they can they, the guys in the band definitely have chops, and like I said earlier, important bands do move things forward. So, and they are they're definitely doing something that is different. I don't know exactly where it's all coming from. Um, I don't know really who's writing the music and all that stuff, but I do understand that they signed a deal in the U.S. with a pretty big label and um, I think we'll be hearing a lot more from that band in the future you know as far as bands I mentioned like Mastodon a band like that for example I think a band like Mastodon can and Opeth for example on Roadrunner can can definitely widen you know can widen the genre a little bit because they're 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 getting more popular without necessarily quote-unquote like selling selling out they're doing it because this, the, the, the audience is coming to them and they're coming to the audience a little bit, but it's, it's through perseverance and, and like any great rock or metal band, just getting out there and playing on the road, they're winning people over through perseverance and staying true to who they are. 
Well, dude, we could talk to you for like 10 hours, man, because, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, never shut up. So, oh, dude, uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, that, that's why when we first, when I first met you at South by, I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta actually put this down. I hate I talking about that. Can I, can I ask about, one question though? Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, just one question. All right. So, so like one thing that we always notice is that like, you know, there are some bands, they're pretty good. They might be great, but they will toil in their lo- uh, local scene forever. And it just, it just seems like after a while, they just get almost sort of tainted that yeah. they can't get beyond. But then there's other bands that just come from out of nowhere yeah. and they never played more than just one, three song set at SIR. And now they're huge. You know what I mean? Right. So, so yeah. what, what, does that happen? Is there sort of a, uh, a credibility factor that bands need to take into account before they start seeking out record deals? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I, I would look as an A and R person. You just want to find stuff that's exciting, and it is true that a band who's just slugging it out in the scene in their little scene over and over and over again, it does. It is true that they they it gets it gets crusty after a while. Yeah. That people have a hard time seeing it as something fresh. It, it's just human nature, I think. You just want something new. People like to see something new, and a lot of times, like you know, people will send me something or i'll send something that i think i just found i'll send it to people and say hey what what do you think of this um you know i'm looking at this and people will say that band's been around forever and i'll be like i didn't ask how long they were around I asked if they were any good <laughs> you know like, yeah. what or what you think you know like that kind of stuff you know it's tough to say there's really no rhyme or reason to it um you know going back to king 810 king 810 is not a brand new band they're just a band who had no resources to get out of their hometown um, and so they were just there until somebody came to them, where there are other bands who are internet savvy and find ways to, to get their music out there beyond their hometown uh, quickly and, and can have people discover them that way. But it is true that uh, the, the feeling is that bands need to earn, uh, pay their dues and get out there and earn it and earn it. My experience is that there's there's definitely some some truth to that. I mean, look, I I come from a an earlier era where a band like Twisted Sister, for example, uh, had played for ten years yeah. uh, in packed book clubs. I mean, packed man, like a thousand people, like you know, every night, man, or four or five nights a week, these guys would play regionally all over the place and still couldn't get a fucking record deal. Um, a band, if a band did that now, oh my God! I mean, you know, forget it. You know, they'd be, be labels for you all over a band, and and it is true that bands are sometimes get signed early. I'm guilty of that of signing a band that I'm like, wow, uh, you know, the band's it's great, and we should we should sign them. And and I think part of the reason for that is back in the old days, you could discover a band and have a minute and let the band develop. Now, the minute a band draws more than five people and has more than 200,000 views on YouTube, every, every fucking label knows about them, and, and they'll go out and offer the band a deal and sign the band up to a six-album deal before they're ready, and it's bad, man, because then what happens is there's a lot of crappy bands putting out records, and they haven't, they haven't developed enough yet. Whether they've earned it or not, is, 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 it doesn't matter. It's like, are they good enough yet? And so what happens is we, unfortunately, I feel like I have to move faster than I probably want to sometimes in order to, to, to beat out another company who's going who's gonna to sign the band. You'll have to bring back um, RC Records as a farm system. No, well, you know, it's funny. Like, <laughs> um, we, we actually talked about that, but at the end of the day, it's like, it doesn't really matter. It's the same people working the stuff, you know? Yeah. So what's the point, you know? Um, I, I actually 
you know, I, I have kicked that idea around, and I was like, what am I doing? Why don't, you know, Roadrunner's Roadrunner, <laughs> you know, same yeah. people, you know. But definitely, um, that is definitely a, a problem with the modern era of a million little record companies who are like us, you know, out there, have their noses to the ground, and, and they're snagging up bands before they're kind of ready. And it's not good for bands. They should get out there and find out who they are before they... Uh, before they make a long-term commitment to a record company. Well, I also hit think about what you were saying about King A10 and how that came about. Fan comes up to a guy that works for the label at a party kind of thing, but it's a fan who is really excited about the band. You know, if your local yeah. fans aren't really excited about your band and telling everybody about your band and putting the word out there and talking about you, then... Yeah, I, I think about it in terms of the podcast. Like, all of our fans never get invited to parties. Exactly. So that's so. why we go, we go nowhere. <laughs> 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 that's not true i'll invite you guys you come to our holiday party awesome <laughs> boom all right done and done well dave we appreciate you taking the time out man uh, and yeah like i said we could talk for talk for hours yeah man. can you give us a date on the new gojira album now please i'd love to uh, um but there will be one next year that's for oh, sure next and, uh, year man, i gotta tell you i am so looking forward to it those guys if for anybody who's never seen them um they are just absolutely jaw-dropping jaw-dropping phenomenal Clearly, like one of one of the top best live bands out there. Right? Oh, yeah, can't, oh, can't wait for that tour with uh, with Velartek and Mastodon. Yeah, and Led, Led Zeppelin yeah. Sauvage is your Les, Led Zeppelin four. You said you thought every one of them. That one definitely is. <laughs> Unless <laughs> no, it's Led Zeppelin three, and the next one's Led Zeppelin four. <laughs> I mean, I I know this, uh, and the sound of the record. I mean, it's it's phenomenal how 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 that that album. Um, you know, when I first heard Explosion, I. I I could not believe it. How how it was just the most badass, heavy, cool piece of music I had heard in I don't know how long. And um, and they play it live, and God, it's like it's why we stayed open for Slayer last year. I was or kind of sort of the front of the stage, and I turned around and I look at all the Slayer fans, and they literally had their jaws open. They were just like people were shaking their heads, like who the fuck are these guys, yeah. man? It's why we but, still do this, right? It's a you know, it's a because it's, it's exciting. You know, Gojira are how many years in, and right. and and they're still making better music than ever. By this point, in almost every career for every band that started in the eighties and nineties, they're doing their steel wheels now. You yeah. know, just right, right, right. And right. Gojira are not, uh, Carcass are not. There's so many of these bands that are coming up with awesome stuff. So creatively, it feels like we're at another really great peak. If even if the audience you say is shrinking well i say to everybody around here buy low and, and sell high like i feel like the genre is like at a, at a low but it was at a low point i don't think it is um at a low point now i think i think we've actually kind of we've turned the corner I, I right now believe this is we're headed for one of the most exciting times um and a, and a bit of a rebirth in the genre i really do i mean there's some great shit coming out of uh, the uk right now um, I find I just there's a band I'm not, I can't talk about it yet, but we just signed a band from um, the state of Washington here, a heavy band that just absolutely blew my head off. Uh, that I feel like okay, this is something very different. I mean, there's some great one one word out. name, one word name, or two word name. It is a two word name and begins with a letter. I will not uh, <laughs> or deny anything off that. <laughs> but um, but I will tell you though that I do I do believe I do honestly feel. Uh, a, a, a sort of resurgence, like kind of, there's ripples out there right now uh, with things going on that make me feel like, okay, the genre is, is really about to, to make a, a roaring comeback. I Wait a second, it. you didn't sign Pearl Jam, did you? <laughs> <laughs> 
I wish I did, actually. <laughs> will, will you be Thank buying you. the guys, seeing as metal is, I, I, you know, I feel like we're on the upswing. Will you be yeah. getting the guys in Opeth some d- distortion pedals for Christmas this year? <laughs> hey, man, you know, he, uh, Michael is, again, like, and I, I, I say this, you know, because they're not just because they're on Roadrunner, but, you know, the, the guy's just not, he's always moving forward, man, and he wants to uh, just make music for the beauty of music, and he doesn't give a shit what you or I think, and I love that about him, man. He's just like, I am fucking making what, what I want to make, and that's what I expect out of every single one of our bands. The minute we have a band that makes what they think the fans want to hear, there's a minute you end up with a piece of crap record. See, Godless, and, uh, uh, Godless is not into the new Opeth. Me, on the other hand, I think yeah. it's the second coming. So. But I figure you're saying that now, but I'll bet you when you're on the phone, to the you know, you got that red phone that goes directly to the recording studio, you got to be singing a different tune. Well, I'm, I'm fortunately in a position here where the bands can kind of like, uh, you know, nobody's coming to us and saying, well, you know, where's the next... Where's the next Gojira single for alternative radio, you know? Mm. Um, the, the best stuff that we have, including like Slipknot, happens because it's just lightning in a bottle, and these bands uh, are, are being the best that they can possibly be. Of course, I try to guide the bands. I don't want to make anybody, you know, having people make a crappy record, you know, and I, I, try, I do try to advise, but, um, but at the same time, um, you know, these bands surpass my, my talent as a musician. But, they very well should. but dude, you know that a collaboration between Gojira and Fun <laughs> would totally, I mean, creatively and everything, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll get on that right after we get done. <laughs> <laughs> like that Slipknot Justin Bieber mashup. Uh, oh, oh, mashups are awful. bad. A mashup, but if no, you, I know, but somebody did one. Like yeah, oh, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> I, I remember hearing that. It's like, oh, it's I was so just bad. pissed because I was like, how did they get the fucking multi tracks, man? I, I, I think I know how it happened. It really pissed me off. Uh, oh, uh, oh, oh. All right, dude. Now we're really going to end this. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. Seriously, thank you very much, Thanks, man. Dave, uh, Dave Rath, uh, senior vice president of A and R for Roadrunner Records. Thank you so much for taking your time, brother. Guys, thanks so so much. Great talking with you.
Something is tempting the Father Where is your will, my friend? Insatiates never even bother Sucks podcast today.
I got a feeling that one's going to be one of the best of the year. Again, an all-noth yeah. rock right there, brand new music. Uh, not only do I love it because of the Excalibur reference, but I just love it because they're such a badass <laughs> fucking band, dude. That, that last album was awesome, oh. and, and I feel bad because I, I haven't gone back to listen to it recently. It's one of those, I find them to be a band that you can't, that you that you don't listen to all the time. Right. But when you get into them, like I'll go through a phase where I'll do I'll just listen to the album over and over and over and over again, and then I'll I got to put it away, yeah. and then I'll go back to it, you know, f- two or three months later and do it again, and yeah, I don't know. This one's Des. Okay, let's see if I can get it. Let me. I, I wrote it down because I couldn't. <laughs> Desideratum. There we go. Is the new album, and that's uh, where you're gonna find the song Idol. Uh, I don't think it's out yet. First time I heard it, it was like two minutes in before. I go, oh, yeah. and for a while there, I was like, oh, it's good, but, uh, uh, and then boom, it, it gets oh. there, man. I love it. I love it when they start singing. And I know yeah. like, oh, it's clean singing. It's got to so can't be black metal. With <laughs> but then I go back again, like earlier, like re listen to it and it's got the cool, like electronic sound. Yeah, there's some weird stuff. other stuff going on in there. Yeah. It's it's pretty awesome. That's man, a thinking. So. That's like thinking man's death metal, right? What? No black metal death metal people don't death think black but i, I mean they're yeah, doing really interesting stuff they really are man yeah uh, insight returns with their up in hell album that's their most brutal album yet it's coming out september 2nd on minus head records insight with their brand new record up in hell brings you the metal sucks podcast tonight and uh also let's see we've got a we've got one more segment that we got to get through here so good and I, and I say get through like it's it's tedious but it's not it's because not. we love this man because he's a uh, you know he, he he loves our he he thinks the same things we do he has exactly the same opinions does okay not no not, not really completely he, opposite he, he pretty much has a completely opposite opinions of us most of the time our first uh, rejecting the sickness was about a little band by the name of ghost and uh this time uh well we wanted to bring up something that was a little bit timely phil labonte went to his facebook page and said that you know pretty much metal guys are not musicians is that what he meant? Well, Doc Coyle is going to join us on the Metal Sucks podcast to reject our sickness about Phil. Thank you for having me. I uh, look forward to another uh, drubbing on, on, on account of my intellectual um, dexterity. So I'm really looking forward to this, guys. Good morning. Now, you no, know, I just got up. <laughs> and see, so that's... That's the best time when you still got sleep in your eyes. You're still ready to, you know, like ready, ready to do it. I'm a little handicapped, you know, <laughs> to the finish line. But we're going to, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun either way. Now, so we wanted to talk about a band that's a little bit timely because this week actually, um, uh, inflammatory, I don't know. Maybe it's inflammatory. Maybe it's not. But uh, uh, a guy that you probably know, his name is uh, Phil Abonte of All That Remains. Uh, took to Facebook and uh, made a few interesting points about some bands that that are um, in the scene. And here's the quote that he said was that, uh, quote, So in the past six months, Bleeding Through called it quits. God forbid called it quits. And just today, Shadows Fall has announced that for all intents and purposes, they're calling it quits. I'm so glad all that remains have transcended metal and have become musicians. Is the exact quote that he had said we on his t- Facebook page. We took offense on all of those bands' behalf because we believe that they're the best musicians out there. So, or at least uh, musicians. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that should be like a given. Yes. I mean, Doc. I, I mean, do you take? Did you take offense to him calling you out as a non-musician? You know, I to me, it sounds like he's kind of be, just being inarticulate. 
I don't think it means what we think it means because I know he doesn't hold that opinion. Um, you know, I've known Phil since like 1998, 99, you know, back when, you know, our was first starting. Um, and they were not the band they are now, or even the band they were, you know, five or six years ago when they were pretty, I'd say like a standard kind of metalcore band, you know, and it's, you know, we, uh, Western Massachusetts was one of the first places we actually got kind of a little buzz and a little following outside of New Jersey. So we would go up there periodically play this place um, called uh, Fat Cats, and he would always come out, his whole, you know, the whole, the whole crew. And the guy always has been nothing but complimentary to me personally. I know he has a lot of respect. I know we've, you know, especially going back, like, Determination era, God forbid, was very influential. Um, because, I, you know, I would see him out there at the show, singing along, you know, we, we've toured together, and he's a friend, so. What do you think he meant? I know he doesn't hold that. Hold, hold. I think what he was trying to say was that at a certain point, every trend, you know, kind of hits its peak, and then it hits its valley. And, like, you know, and, and I think someone was, someone was talking about this. I can't remember um, what it was, your guys' podcast or... or Maybe it's Jamie Johnson's podcast where they're saying how it's just it's just the way it goes, like how a bunch of thrash bands started falling off in the early nineties, you know, breaking up, yep. taking hiatuses, a bunch of members leaving. And the fact is, the record industry is just a different beast. All right. The you know, um a thrash band falling off in the mid nineties might have meant they went from selling, you know, two or three or four or five hundred thousand records to like 150,000 records and went, you know, and went from playing like the rose, you know, like two or 3000 people, they only draw like five to a thousand. But the problem is our, the peak of all these river bands was never that big. You know, like Testament had like three, their first records went gold. You know, that's how, and they were like considered to be a smaller of the thrash bands. Right. They were still yeah. opening for Slayer. The industry in which we kind of were graduated into is literally half the size just in terms of record sales that it was at the peak, which was 2001. So the contraction is the level of success that our band might have, God forbid, or Shadows Fall or Bleeding Through, it is big enough in which the band is actually worth something and meaningful to go and make some money, but it's not necessarily um, big enough to have a comfortable living. And, and ever, all these bands, are kind, we just kind of hit this breaking point. Where it's like, can you do this? Can I not do this? You know, that's not why I I left God forbid. Um, there are other reasons, functional reasons. I wanted to still keep doing it, um, but everyone does have the reason. But what I think he he actually meant was that because the the kind of the tide came up and it went down, and all that remains is still standing and still kind of a viable uh, band commercially, um, and they they have kind of in a way not been you know they, they did not go heavier they did go more i guess um hit oriented radio oriented that what he's saying is that the perception of their band is that they're not just another metal band which helped them survive the tide going down knowing him personally there's no way i don't think he actually meant that we're awesome musicians and those guys are you know don't know how to string their guitars I just don't, you know, believe that that's the way he feels about that because I, you know. Well, but it sounds like he he hit that what he was talking about. They were they hit that peak that you're talking about, and they were the ones that were smart enough to make the change. You know, they were the ones that were uh, able to adapt to it and and 
come out of it on the other side. So they saw that saw that trend changing, and they were able able to do it, whether that's right or wrong. Let's write more radio friendly music. Uh, I think sometimes that's what some people call selling out. But I, I just don't think that selling out exists in 2014. I don't think it does either. So yeah. it's like, well, you know, it's I kind of relative. I don't think they. I don't think that's really present that band anyway because they didn't really. Their career was made by being a very kind of like well, I you know like they almost took like the kill switch engage kind of formula, but tightened it up. Yeah, made it a little faster and had really sick guitar solos. To that's me- really you know it's like you know it's like it's like they're like kill switch on Red Bull. You know, that's what, you know, like the earlier All That Remains records that I that I really liked, like Fall of Ideals. Um, and was it uh, Over, Overcome, the next one? Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite records. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, that's just in general. I don't think that's accurate because they're not the only ones out of our genre who said, who decided to get um, more melodic or more accessible um, you know, people point out to Shadows Falls album um, that they did for Atlantic, um, The Threads of Life, you know, which kind of the general view is that it kind of missed the mark um, comparatively to uh, um, War Balance and or with War Thin, people felt like they kind of strayed. And I think it, I think it, it, effect, it affected them in a way. Or like even now, you could say with Darkest Hour's new record kind of taking a left turn. Um, making a, a demonstrative choice to say, we're going to do something different. So I, that's just, if that's the way he thinks that, Oh, they were smart enough to do that. I don't think, I think a lot of bands have, have attempted to do that. Um, but it's not always successful. You know, even the last God mid record is probably the most, um, melodic and kind of accessible, you know, that we probably ever made, you know? Um, but it didn't, you know, it didn't necessarily have that kind of impact because it's just, you listen, you could have the greatest hit song in the world on your record, but if you can't get people to hear it, if you can't get it on the radio, if you can't get it on MTV, if you can't put it in front, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know? So it's, it's about exposure. All that, they ma- all that remains to me always seemed to be kind of pulling their punches, uh, but it just seems like on the last album or two, uh, I just want to punch myself. Uh, to be honest, I have not really uh, listened a whole lot to the last couple of albums. The last one, oh, what was, what was the last one I really listen, listened to? Like maybe two albums ago. Not the last one, but the previous record. Overcome was the last one. Like I fucking just like okay. loved. Like that was so just so good. Yeah, I, the record I, after that. The record. I, I think part of the problem is that, like with the most recent albums, we're, we're just not the target demographic. I think. Uh, people who buy Hello Kitty, Kitty dolls are the target demographic. I don't know if you, you can't see me right now, but I'm not smiling. <laughs> right? Just don't face. That's, 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 that's very, it's very cute. Very cute. <laughs> no, I, no I, I think, you know, they make um, accessible, catchy, melodic metal. You know, they're, you know, they're not too much um, far from, you know, maybe kind of a more technical, metallic uh Five Finger Death Punch to a to a degree. I think that's their audience. It's kind of the I hear grown them. ass grown ass people. I hear them know, grown ass people in America. Yeah, I hear them, and I think to myself, Nickelback should inspire no one. That that's, Yo, that's I'm down with Nickelback. So fuck y'all. <laughs> Another episode. Hey, never made it as a blind man. Hey, I guess part of the thing never is, made it as a poor man either. <laughs> you, you can sound sappy, and you can say sappy stuff, but when you're doing both at the mm-hmm. same time. 
it, 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 you can't, you, just, you shouldn't do it. It's sort of like the Joe Jackson thing where he would write a song in minor key and the lyrics would be really happy. And then if he wrote a song in the major key, he would write songs, that were, you know, lyrics really, really sad. sad because it made it interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, you can only do that for so long as we found out with uh, Joe Jackson's most recent albums. But I think that that's one of those things where uh, that all the remains missed. It's the only Jackson I know is black. All right. You <laughs> know. Jermaine, those are the Jacksons we need to talk about. Fuck Joe Jackson, all right? <laughs> no way! First off, well, the one that used to be black, and then it's all <laughs> kind of crazy. But there's, listen, there's no rules, all right? There's no rules to, to songwriting. There are formulas that, pr- that already exist, but the, the way you make headway is by breaking the rules, trying, trying new things. Um, and, you know, and we could go, we could do that and kind of see how, how that band in particular has evolved but i I'll, I'll say this and i think it's it's kind of true of the entire new wave american heavy metal genre is that you can only and i kind of you know i in the last uh piece i wrote about uh the kind of the state the state uh state of the union Good piece, you know by the way. about like dipping from the same oh thank you very much um about dipping from the same creative well where like and you and I think if you look at all the, all of us bands, you know our our best records are kind of most notable, the ones that had the most profound, quote unquote, cultural impact was probably from like two thousand three to like two thousand six. That's when everyone is really the records that everyone kind of points to as being the seminal records or the influential record, or even you can go back, maybe it's like two thousand one if you want to put determination in there and up one blood and maybe even. Uh, New American Gospel, um, as far as having an impact, you know, um, and then it's like after you kind of do one, two, three records, it's like, all right, where do we go now? How do we have, you know, it's not about saying relevant, but I think it's about what do you have to say? And I have, I have a big problem with bands that put out too many records. You know, like if you put out a record every year, every year and a half, I personally believe not as not enough has happened to you in your life that is actually going where you go into the next record and you're like, you are someone else new and you can put that creatively into the next thing. You know, I like bands that take their time because every time you hear it, you're like, Oh, this band had something to say. Life happened and it made them want to make a record as opposed to, we have to put a record out every year and a half because we have to have the touring cycle lined up with this so we can pay these bills. And so it just runs like a fucking business. And a lot of these bands, you know, you look at a band like Devil Driver, like Trivium, bands who were, who survived. They're the survivors. You know, we're the ones that didn't make it. But the way they survived was, was by running a very strong business in which things had very definitive cycles and timescales, and they knew we're having a record here. You, even the creative process becomes industry. And that's where I think you, you run into these things where the records, at least for me, do not... At a certain point, they're very good, they're well done because they're great fans, they're great musicians, but it might not have the same impact of that first or second record when they had a lot more creative fire. So um, all that remains, i got to stop with a three-month album cycle then. <laughs> I mean, how else do you explain the last few albums? No, I just, I just, think, it's ha- I just think it's hard. It's harder than, than even you guys might realize to go after you've you know, got off the road for like a year and you're like, all right, now make a record and you just don't feel it. Totally. Oh, and no. then you're trying not to do something. And, and, and then you're trying to do something where it's like, well, I can only do A, B, and C because if I do D, E, and F, people are going to say you're changing too much. But I mean, 
we kind of did like government kind of was a we took chances like Earthblood, you know, where we made basically a prog metalcore record, whatever that you know because we needed to do something different. Yeah. Like we had to, you know, we had something. We thought, all right, we still, you know, we we got seven string guitars and tuned them down and got a different sound. So it had a lot of black metal influence and Opeth influence, things like that, that no one in our genre really was doing. And to some people, it's like a weird record. And they're like, that's kind of weird. But I listen back to it. I'm like, I'm glad we took chances. It doesn't, it might not have had the impact of our early records, but I don't think it's not as good. Oh, you know? totally. Um, Sounds like what musicians do. No, yeah. But I'll tell you this, I couldn't imagine being in a band like Hatebreed and having a very strict set, like, set of barricades around what you can do and having to write 15 songs for a record. Like, after you've already put out six or seven records. It's impossible to not retread ground because, and even Jamie was saying, he's like, he's like we can't experiment because our fans were, will revolt. Yeah, I just wish you all know, the remains the didn't experiment with a wuss pedal on their guitars. Nah. Wuss pedal. Where do, who makes that? Dunlop? <laughs> Where can I get that? Is that a musician's it's, friend? It, it, yeah. It's not exclusive to all the remains, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> we got to cut this off because we're going to talk another, for another hour <laughs> like we've done before. Oh, yeah. So what What ultimately are we? Uh, is the answer here? Nobody's. None of us are listening to the recent All the Remains records. And and God forbid are still musicians. So, Absolutely. Boom. Done and done. I'm a musician. I'm not a rock star. I'm a musician. All right. I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think that basically it sounded like Phil sort of spoke, didn't even speak out of turn. I think he just wrote something down. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I shouldn't have hit sin on that. I, I, the way I look at it is that if you're on stage with Robert Trujillo and you can hang, you're a musician. Granted, you're playing Black Sabbath songs, so therefore there's a big asterisk there. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that here on one of these, uh, rejecting right. the sickness very soon. Oh, you think you're funny, huh? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Are you funny? Oh, dude. Okay. Dude. Yeah, he does think I'm he's tra- funny. <laughs> doing, I'm doing I'm doing shit ups in here. I'm getting, I'm training. <laughs> Coming for you. Well, we want to thank you again for uh, shooting the shit with us about all the rains, man. Thanks. No problem. Keep it crazy, fellas. All right. Keep the heavy metal going. You're doing doing great work over there. Being nerds, bunch of nerds, fucking nerds over nerds. here. Nerds. Doc Coyle for uh, being our guest and rejecting our sickness on this episode. Thanks again to uh, Dave Rath for uh, for jumping in and telling us all about industry stuff uh, that's happening with Rogue Records and how you can get your, your band a record deal. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. dear listener. And uh, thank you guys for uh, listening. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Uh, just search for Metal Sucks. Uh, you will find Metal Sucks Podcast on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on uh, whatever it's going to be out there you can find it even find on it. YouTube now yeah on YouTube as well so make sure you do that and pass it on tell your friends how much you love it and uh, you know yeah other people yeah you know bring them in yeah, so do the Facebook things do the yeah, whatever yeah. and follow us on Twitter man 
You know, I've, I've been twittering now. I've been I've involved my Star Wars podcast in in my Twitter. There you go. Oh shit! Now now we get some serious trouble because <laughs> I've got Star Wars guys and metal dudes all together on one Twitter. Awesome. I am at Beer Today. I am at Godless Speaks. So it's getting da- it's getting dangerous. That means you're gonna have a boatload more followers. I'm, I'm working on it. Damn, I'm working on it. Damn, because yeah. my Star Wars podcast is is really terrible. You think this one's bad? No, come yeah, on. Check I, that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. Well, I love doing podcasts. I'm gonna get like all my atheist folk to so like start it, following dude. me or dude, something, dude. You already know that all you gotta do is start talking about God, and you're gonna have millions of people. So go for it, dude. I'd love to. You know, start ripping on Muhammad, and then I'll never have a partner again. <laughs> Boom. That's it. I am Chuck. I'm uh, Godless. Uh, yeah, don't tell too many people. <laughs> and this has been the Metal Slug Podcast. There's still no doubt of your rage. You can't